0: real voices of the game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of the show, Jim Cott, the Hall of Famer. This is Cott's Corner. Boy, I bet you can't dance to that m- music, Jim, right there. I no, no. <laughs> got a uh, little, little Halloween music queued up. I think that may be the X-Files show back in the, the 90s, it sounds like. But I uh, want to thank our audience. Uh, those of you that tuned in yesterday, got our uh, one of our newest hosts in here, Jerry Truppiano, who actually when he was introducing himself to me, Jim sent me an interview of you and him, had no idea that you were working with us and, um, wonderful interview you did with him years ago. And, but, uh, we had Jim Nance on with Jerry, but, uh, want to thank our audience for helping us, uh, not only attract, uh, wonderful people, wonderful life people, but baseball people like Jim cop, but also supporting us in our push to get this podcast network out there and 50,000 plus 74 countries supported us enough to, become the newest podcast stream on iHeartRadio. Keep listening to us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, but let's flood iHeart and let them know that they made the right choice in picking Real Voices of the Game and, and especially Cots Corner to be a part of their family. So, with that Jim, welcome back to your show.
1: Well, thank you. It's uh you know, exciting time of the year with the with the diluted, I call it, playoffs with so many teams in the in the playoffs now and I you know, I can't get overly excited about teams with mediocre records, but I think from a fan standpoint, it's uh, and, and baseball in general, it's really created a lot of interest. I mean, as uh, I met with the commissioner uh, several years, uh, several weeks ago on on other subjects, but uh, if the people have read the papers, attendance is up, TV ratings are up, everybody loves the pitch clock. There are probably a few tweaks to, to the rules that they'll change over the years, but uh, uh, baseball's uh, on a high note, and the uh, the wild card games particularly, with me having such an interest in, uh, in the Twins, uh, have been really exciting.
0: Yeah, I like how they stacked them, too, from a viewer standpoint. If you're a baseball fanatic, they had back-to-back-to-back-to-back games on, and I know my, my son Tanner was glued in to all four games. And they staggered them enough where you could watch all four, uh, which was great. And I thought some great performances as well. We got some some uh, interesting matchups. It's almost like the baseball gods uh, kind of twiddled their thumbs a little bit and decided what would be interesting for the fans. I know with the Twins and the Astros matching up with Correa, seeing his old team that didn't want to sign him back. But uh, what, what, what caught your eye the first first round of the playoffs? What players or teams were intriguing to you?
1: I thought what was so impressive, if my numbers are correctly, I think the combined four bullpens, actually I think it was almost eight bull. well some of them gave up some runs, but for the most part the the relievers gave up very few runs. And, uh, you know, it's the modern game, the way that the game is played now is that every team is trying to stack their bullpen with pitchers that have swing and miss stuff you know, it's not just get them out, it's strike them out. And, uh, the twins were a great example of that. You know, they got Brock Stewart off the list now. And I think the TV land got to see the, uh, electric stuff that John Duran has at the end of the game, but, uh, everybody that was running those fastballs up there in the high nineties. And, uh, teams were, you know, were not only getting a chance to get base, weren't getting base runners, they weren't making contact. So that was, I thought that what might be the issue with the twins is that their bullpen might, uh, might not be as strong as some of the other teams, but boy, were they ever. And I think it, it was true of all the teams because no, no starters are going nine innings anymore. And, you know, Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez, uh, they did a great job for five innings. I think Ivaldi went six. Uh, but for the most part, you're really relying on those guys at the end of the game uh, to, to, uh, to get some big outs. And then, of course, from the Twins standpoint, I have I've never seen the Twins execute back to back games with perfection uh, like they did in those two games. I've never been a big fan uh, of of Carlos Correa in, in terms of kind of the way he carried himself when he first joined the twins. But I have to say, uh, I was very impressed with his baseball IQ and some of the uh, plays he made that play he made in game one off balance throw to get Bichette at home. It reminded me of the Derek Jeter play, uh, you know, back in uh, 2001 when he made the famous flip play. So his baseball IQ has come to the front and, uh, The teams that have executed, you know, the the fundamentals, the the little things in in, uh, the game that you and I talk a lot about, they have ended up winning games. Toronto was just pathetic the way they, I mean, to get picked off second base, uh, Vlad Jr., you know, when guys get on first, he's hugging them and talking to them, but if you don't keep your head in the game, uh, you're going to get stung like that, and that was a big move—that uh, that pickoff move. They bunted one time with one out to get move runners over. Uh, John Schneider took Barrios out when it looked like he was—you know—he was pitching like Tom Seaver. So they, they everything they did was wrong.
0: Yeah, we were watching that one live when 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 uh, when he got picked off at of second base, and what was interesting again, I we watched the game from a. Uh... We want to learn. I want my son to learn. And we saw the pitcher touches the bill of his cap, and very obviously the shortstop went right back to him. And uh, Tanner turned. He goes, "You think they're going to do daylight?" And I said, "Well, usually that's with the glove, but let's see. They must have caught something." And lo and behold, next pitch was he spun around and threw without hesitation. There was no traditional daylight play put on where you throw. You put the glove in between the guy at second in the base but it was a i guess a predetermined daylight they must have saw something before the game or as you said he was
1: well yeah i don't know if you if you saw uh, read about Correa's quote but uh uh you know he he uh, he found out early in the game when i guess Toronto had a runner on second the crowd was so loud and he said the runner at second cannot hear the third base coach oh and so he got into the dugout and he said Be alive because the pickoff play is going to be it's we're going to have a chance to do it later in the game because these runners on second can't hear anything. So I thought it was a perfect execution. It comes from Ryan Jeffers, the catcher who probably touches, you know, part of his face, you know, whatever the key is for the for the pitcher, the shortstop. And then Sonny Gray made an absolutely like a ballet dancer. The pivot he made and the accurate throw. And then Correa right on time makes the grab and the sweep tag. So it was really orchestrated right from the start to to perfection. But give Correa credit for early in the game telling his guys in the dugout, uh, they don't hear the third base coach, we're going to be able to at least run the pick play and see how it works. And it worked to perfection.
0: And you don't see that very often in a major league game let alone in the playoffs where you're supposed to have heightened sense of awareness, let's just say. Well,
1: that's, you know, that's one thing I noticed in the game that's missing guys get on a base first or second and the middle infielder come over and they'll hug each other or tap each other. Like they're, you know, they're good friends, which that's fine that they are, but you know, as you know, from playing baseball, I know you're training your, your kids and your youth down there to do that as you, immediately turn around, see where the outfielders are playing. And, and you have to be alert as to where that second baseman and shortstop are, which will determine what kind of a lead you can get. And and I just, I, I kind of blame uh, the management teams for not putting enough time into really drilling that into players to be, you know, to be able to execute as as I was told, and early in my career, if you can just do the ordinary things in an extraordinary fashion, uh, you know you'll be you'll be fine. You have to pay attention to that stuff.
0: Yeah, I phrase it. Hey, let's be boring today. That's there's no problem with being boring. Um, that that's how wins are done. We we eliminated, and I'd love to see Major League Baseball do this. There's they've got the hand guard that they slide with. Or this, I don't even know what you call it. They've got to take off their elbow pads, their knee pads, their uh, shin guard pads. They have so many things to take off of that all that takes time. We eliminated that from our young kids because of distractions. And the very first thing you said it, you get on first base, I want you to give me a verbal and visual cue of how many outs there are so I know you know. And then you check your outfield depth, you check your infield depth, eyes go back on the pitcher, and you don't leave that bag until he steps on the rubber. And then we have a proper way of taking our, our leads in. It's monkey see, monkey do, right? You kind of hope the major leaguers get back to the the fundamentals, the boring ways, so the young kids have. Yeah, so that, you watching.
1: know, that's where it starts. Now the hand guard for sliding, man, I, I I wish that I would have had one of those because that really altered my uh, my career in uh, in 1972. Uh, that was the last year for the DH, and I was off to maybe the best start. I think Jim Palmer and I were were leading the league in about every category. I was ten and two first of July, and I slid into second, but I didn't have the handfuls of dirt. We used to have like handfuls of dirt to keep our yes. our fists closed. And when I slid into second, uh, break up a double play, I instinctively put my left hand down, slid it along the, uh, the dirt, and uh, I jammed that thumb. Well, I thought it was just a jammed thumb, but actually what I did is I broke the navicular bone, uh, in the small bone in my wrist, so my season was over. Uh, so I thought, boy, when I began to see those hand guards for sliding, uh, I thought that is a good safety device for, uh, for base dealers.
0: Yep. Yeah. But you know, the, the point that we kind of work backwards with it, you were probably taught how to slide a lot of these oh, yeah. kids in pro the, they don't work on that anymore. No. So they need a bodyguard when they go out there Totally yeah. the with it, but because injuries like you had, those are. Those are going to happen in the game as you're doing things right. I, yeah. I kind of marvel at all these different devices these kids have, at the, I guess, at the expense of not being taught the fundamentals. They just throw in more devices. But uh, yeah. That, you the,
1: know, the other thing that jumped out at me in the playoffs is uh, in the, in the Diamondbacks are probably the least known and least expected team. Uh, to to be in the playoffs and then to knock off Milwaukee, but yeah. uh, Tori Lovello, the manager, started uh, Evan Longoria in one of the games. The veteran, who was of course yeah. a terrific player with Tampa Bay, and then he's he's in the twilight of his career. But I like the description of why he played him. He said, uh, "I like the stability of the human being, the heartbeat of the human being," and oh, it turned that. out that he he had a little something to do with that first win. So. It was kind of refreshing to see a manager disregard whatever the numbers said and went by uh, what was inside of the individual player, and, and he was an impactful player on that game for him.
0: He was. I was surprised as well at him starting. In fact, Tanner pointed it out to me, and I was surprised he was even on the roster still. I didn't even realize he was he was still there, but um, I thought the same word when I saw him. Uh, it's just stability. He's been there. He's done that. He, he can, uh, and, and I like both both corners that Arizona has. They, you know, they don't talk a lot about their first baseman, but he he ranks right up there with with anybody statistically in terms of his his is run production, and uh, not not a uh, often spoken about first baseman, especially in the National League.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, with the game starting tomorrow. I think that's going to be a, an opportunity for the baseball fans nationally. I mean, even somebody like myself who's been involved in the game, but I haven't seen the Diamondbacks play. They're not on television that much. So now to see them, you know, by a national audience, we're going to begin to, uh, you know, to understand or to really realize uh, what a talented team uh, they have. They're not just there by a fluke. They yeah. have uh, some some talented young players. And if they got uh, uh, Zach Gallen, I don't know if he'll be – he won't be rested. He won't be able to start game one. That's what's going to affect some of the strategy here. Looking, uh, looking ahead to, uh, the division series, I was looking at the pitching matchups and the only definite starter that's been listed is Verlander for the Astros. So with these teams playing in the wild card, they've had to use, for example, the twins use Pablo Lopez, Sonny gray. Now, Are they going to start their number three starter, which would be Joe Ryan-Bailey-Ober, and that's going to be the case for a lot of teams, start their number three starter or four starter in game one? Well, with a lot of teams, that might cause the manager to say, well, like with Baltimore, maybe we won't start our ace in game one. We think we can win with starter number two or starter number three, and we'll save our ace till uh, the second game. Sure. Um, I know Joe Torrey, when he managed the Yankees, he always put a lot of importance on that second game of a series. Cause you want a guy, uh, you, you don't like to think negatively, but if you lose that first game, you want a, a guy you can depend on in game two, that has that stability factor that he can, you know, he can stop the opposition. Uh, I, I know the old philosophy and I think I still, I, I would still go by that is you want to lead with your ACE and you want to get the lead. But, uh, you know, with these uh, multiple rounds of playoffs now, we're seeing pitching matchups uh, uh, be different than they were in the past. You know, years ago in the World Series, Game 1, you had your aces uh, every year. But now with, uh, with wildcard, division, championship series, those plans change.
0: Yeah. You would ideally, if, you know, all things being equal, you'd want your ace to be able to go Game 1, Game 4, and if there's a Game 7, come back in Game 7. What about the rest? Because you know, the number ones went on Tuesday night, I believe, and then is that enough time for them to come back on Saturday, or is that rushed? Their normal?
1: No, I don't. Well, it, it should be, but they're not trained that way, so they won't do it. Certainly, they wouldn't bring them back on the on the fourth day. I think the last time we saw an exa- uh, you know, that was with Madison Baumgartner and the Giants. Uh, yeah. you know, he came back and then pitched out of out of the bullpen as well. But they're pretty consistent with. Uh, with giving their pitchers that full four days rest, even though they only play, even though they only throw like five innings, they could bring them back, but uh, they don't run the game that way anymore.
0: You've, you've been high on Joe Ryan since the beginning of the season. Um, he would be the game one starter if they went with their third starter. Um, what's your thoughts on him? Leading yeah, ball?
1: I'm not sure. I mean, Ober's been Ober's been very good, but his, his fastball, it's sneaky, but it's true. And boy, against that, against that Astros lineup, uh, you know, I I'm sure the Astros would be a heavy favorite because they've got depth up and down, you know, that, that lineup, they've got stars up and down there. But I think Joe, from a personal standpoint, watching him, he's got the electric stuff and I think he has the attitude, you know, he's, he's got kind of that swagger uh, that, that I think he, he, he might be able to, if he, if, he can, uh, if he can get it in the pitching lanes, you know, he's given up a lot of home runs because he's got good stuff, but uh, he finds the middle of the plate a little too often and hitters count. So uh, that's got to change for him to be successful. But, yeah, I like Joe Ryan a lot.
0: Yeah, and they, they do have thumpers through that lineup uh, in Houston, top to bottom. And, ironically, they hit for high average and they hit for power. Imagine that. The two can coexist yeah. in, the, in this world you mentioned that the surprise of the diamondbacks i was surprised as well cuz as you mentioned they're not on tv a lot most people couldn't name four starters on their team if you asked them they do have the 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 rookie of the year supposed rookie of the year i i like them against the dodgers i like that matchup because um and again i'm i'm oversimplifying the game here so please please pick it apart the dodgers catching i think will smith does a does a wonderful job very good hitter I think Alvarez is their other their other catcher, but uh, and it, it has to do more with just the catcher. There's that hole holding the runners on, but they're not very good um, in terms of eliminating 90 feet. And, the, and, the, and over the season this year, in this big stolen base season, Arizona, I believe, was 14 for 15 or 15 for 16 on them on stolen bases. And if they can get on and, and they employ the running game, boy, I think Arizona can give them some problems.
1: Yeah, I, I did. I made a mistake there when I said this. The uh, listed starters, Kershaw has been listed as well. So certainly that's a uh, that's a big edge for the Dodgers, and uh, I think that he's kind of shaken the postseason demons that uh, that Clayton had those those early years where yeah. the Dodgers were so good and he was so good, but he just didn't have good games in the in the postseason. I think he's past that. So that certainly will be. Uh, That'll be a big key. I mean, if they were to beat uh, Kershaw, I think back to the uh, Giants and the Tigers when Verlander was at the top of his game. You know, he's like twenty-five and three or something like that. And then Pablo Sandoval took him deep in Game One, and the and the Giants blew out the Tigers in Game One, and that was such a big uh, edge for him. They went on; uh, they may have swept him. Uh, you know, so so that Game One can take on a. A lot of importance psychologically. I like tonight would be an example, of or tomorrow, if, if the twins would beat Verlander. But don't discount the value of Framber Valdez coming in behind him. He's he's been uh, he's kind of that old time pitcher like Mike Cuellar with was. You know, he's got movement. He's got a good curveball, and uh, he pitches. You know, he, he can get hitters out. So he doesn't have the electric stuff of a Verlander, but uh, he's a pretty good choice to have starting that second game.
0: Oh, without without question, and they're they're heavy. Am I right in saying they're a heavy breaking ball usage team, the Astros?
1: I I'm not sure. I don't follow that that closely, but I think with the with the kinds of pitchers they have, uh, you know, Valdez would be one. Then if they come with Javier, they've they've got some of the uh, Latino pitchers there that are just you know so good. They've got great arms and great stuff. And I I think in general the uh, the pitchers that came out of the Latin American countries. Uh, tend to be more breaking ball pitchers. Yeah. You know, that's that's what they throw down there. And that's why when uh, when the hitters get to the big leagues, Tony Oliva, my Hall of Fame teammate, was a, a good example. Is A lot of the Latino hitters are great breaking ball hitters because they see so many of them. You know, it's the old philosophy. If you continue to pitch to a guy's weakness, a good player, he eventually will make that his strength. You know, you yeah. throw him 20 breaking balls early in his career, he doesn't hit them. Now, all of a sudden, well, I've seen a lot of those. I'm going to learn how to hit them, and he becomes a good breaking ball hitter.
0: Yeah, it's a big adjustment. Uh, I mean, we watch it on TV with the with the pros. I'm watching it at the grassroots level as as our kids get older. I got to ask the other day, what's a good way to practice hitting against breaking pitches other than obviously seeing it live is the best way? I'm 50 years old. I can't break them off as a former second baseman. I could never break them off, really. But during um, BP, we use bottle caps and corks um, with our yeah. kids. So they, they they can't tell where the flutters go, and they have to keep an eye on it. Real live, like wine corks um, that we uh, we don't uh, do anything but throw them to the kids. Uh, we have a little old school cork, cork ball bat that's like that's the size of a broom handle. Um, Same type of thing.
1: You know, that's interesting you say that because, of course, Tony Oliva was a great breaking ball hitter. In Cuba, all they had was they'd they'd wad up uh, pieces of paper, and put a little tape around them, and, you know, the ball would come darting in all over the place. And then switching to golf, there's a golf trick shot artist, Chuck the Hitman, who if you ever see it on YouTube, the guy is just phenomenal. I watched him standing next to Gary Player and Jack Nicklaus, and both of them said there's no way they could do what he does. Well, he was a mediocre minor league hitter. And just out of boredom, he thought maybe to try to improve his hitting, he started trying to hit BBs with a broomstick. And he developed the hand-eye to hit BBs with a broomstick, and now he made a career out of being a – a trick shot artist in golf because the golf ball to him looks as big as a softball.
0: Yeah, and it's sitting still. Yeah, to, to say, being said from somebody who can't play golf and myself, but uh, I'll have to check him out on YouTube. That, but yeah, that's a we. I've always used that in the off season. It's a low impact on the hands. It's fun. The kids enjoy it. They don't even think they're playing baseball per se, and and there's, yeah. there's a lot of rules to it. That's good stuff. What, what now? We'll stay. I guess, kind of getting around these these series here. Phillies um, look like they're back to the same old Phillies that were in the postseason last year.
1: Yeah, they they seem to be what I'd call the now team. When I I, I had the uh, the honor of speaking at Brooks Robinson's memorial on Monday, and uh, obviously a lot of his former teammates there were a lot of baseball people, and the the general buzz was boy. Watch out for those Phillies, you know, because they just seem to peak at the uh, at the right time. Uh, the Braves have been so good over the the entire season, uh, but are, I don't know are they that good right now? They certainly have, if Max Fried is healthy enough to give them a solid start in, uh and Strider, but uh, you know, with Wheeler and Nola. Uh, and, and the lineup that the that the Phillies have, I think they seem to be the team that everybody anticipates might do what they did to the Braves last year i I couldn't disagree with that i I still on just matching them up. I still think uh, you know Atlanta is the strongest team, but uh, they have that in the back of their head that they were the strongest team last year too, and the Phillies knocked them off.
0: yeah how much of an advantage or disadvantage is it to be sitting and waiting? Because baseball, again, it's, again. I, I at the risk of sounding old-fashioned, baseball is supposed to be played every day. I think you, you've, you've mentioned that as well. I firmly believe it. I've always felt like I was better. Now, day off, everybody needs a rain off, a rain day. But uh, how, at this time of the year, how advantageous is it or is it how much of a disadvantage is it to have that time off like Atlanta's had?
1: yeah i I think it and Baltimore too I think that'll be interesting to see I mean when you go back to the history of the game before they had all the different uh playoff scenarios and a team would clinch the pennant early, then it was well you know they they clinched it early and they rested and they're gonna be stale. I don't think there's any one trend that you could look at and say having a lot of rest is not good or it is good so um i I think it's just uh uh I think the young Oriole players are going to come ready to play just like they did every day and the Braves will as well but if they don't do well I'm sure that's one of the things that the media will look back on and and say well you know they had too much rest but that's where I think Brian Snitker coaching staffs players that are veterans that are leaders uh they're the ones that are are taking charge during this kind of a bye week and and you know, be sure to tell their players and encourage them. And, hey, we got it. We got to be ready now. Even we've had all this rest. Uh, you know, it's more of a mental thing than I think physical.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's a good message for kids, too. There's no one external factor that predetermines your success or failure. And, uh, you know, you look at look at the Rangers, for instance, uh, you know, they they went on the road and and got it done. And they were, I think, four or five days leading up to the the end of the season, they were primed. To be the divisional leaders, and then all of a sudden they're in a wild card game on the road.
1: Yeah, and there they are uh, uh, with 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 being disappointed they didn't win the division. Then they go into Tampa, who had a much better record and is usually pretty good in that Tropicana Dome. But boy, what a what a disappointment! Well, first of all, the way Texas played, credit to them, but what a disappointment for Tampa's ownership to to have a team like that with ninety nine wins. Uh, you know, uh, a logical choice to say they could go on to the World Series. And they drew, like, I think less than 40,000 people in the two games. And here's a city that just approved a $1.2 billion new facility. Uh, I don't know how they're going to draw down there if they can't draw more than that many people for a playoff game.
0: Yeah, it's sad. That's the very first stadium I took our oldest son David who we call blue was to Tampa we happened to be at the final four as, as a college basketball coach we were I was there and uh, Tampa was playing Seattle and we got to go on the field that was way back when Ichiro was just a, a young buck and uh, I was amazed on opening day how empty the crowd was we could go anywhere we wanted I we went on the field um, which you can never do I mean there's such a moat now between the, the fans and the field right now but yeah went on the field during BP and it was uh, it was fun. I mean, a wonderful you know, stadium. Great. I was
1: so Im- I was so impressed with uh, speaking to crowds, with how influential the Twins crowd was. I can think back to, you know, when we first uh, we we won the pennant and went to the World Series in '65, and you know, the fans were were excited, but you know, nobody wore merchandise. I I, I kind of chuckle at that now when I see the stands and every fan has a cap, a jersey, or whatever, but. Years ago, everybody was in civilian clothes, oftentimes coat and tie, top coat, whatever. But there wasn't that uh, outward enthusiasm and cheering that there is today. And uh, boy, that really had a positive impact on uh, on the Twins team. You know, you you could really sense it in watching those games, and I'm sure it'll be that way. Uh, you know, for uh, for the upcoming series as well. Although Houston. Yeah, I, I think they get pretty uh, amped up in Houston. Uh, the Dodgers tend to sit back, and the Dodger fans are a little more laid back. Uh, but I think the home crowd, uh, particularly with a team like Minnesota in that very uh, ballpark that seems like the fans are right in on the field, you know, they, they really have an effect on the game. And Tampa, I'm sure, misses that because it's just kind of a dead atmosphere there.
0: Yeah, the home, the home field didn't give them much of an advantage. At all, other than probably getting to sleep in their own beds the night before, what about what about Baltimore? um I would imagine that stadium's got to be rocking it's been a long time since yeah,
1: I would think so. I tell you i was I said at brooksie's uh memorial uh that uh you know just comparing him, I said that the scouting report on Brooks would have been average power, average arm, uh maybe not even average speed, but he had skills you couldn't measure, you know he had anticipation he had Lateral movement, he had exceptional footwork, uh, ability just to throw from different angles. But I said, today's players, uh, today's generation of players are by far the most physically gifted players in the history of our game. And I'm sure that's true in all games. They're bigger, faster, stronger. So now there were five of the current (laughs) Orioles uh, at the service. And I've known Kyle Gibson since his Minnesota days. I didn't realize, you know, Kyle's like 6-6, this Bradish I think is he might be 6-8, I'm not sure, but these guys are big and strong. So I think the young players today, you know, better better trained in their youth, uh more talented at an early age and also I think with the exposure the game has had on TV, uh the the TV has had on the game is that they're not as they're not as in awe as I was, for example, in facing a Ted Williams or a Mickey Mantle for the first time. It's like, wow, you know, I'm getting to see him in person. Well, now with all the shows on television, all the games, they play against him in college, they feel much more comfortable. So I think the youth and lack of lack of experience in the youth, I don't think that's as big a factor uh, as it was in the past.
0: Yeah, we're, we're in the past. It was... Uh... A definite factor in terms of experience, in terms of, as you said, familiarity. Now, nowadays, these guys are probably Facebook friends with each other since they were twelve.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, or they played. They played travel ball together or against each other, same way in golf. You know, we see it in the same in different sports.
0: It is with you know. You mentioned you made a great point with today's athlete being there. There's probably more. There's probably more better players out there, and and I say this from grassroots all the way up. But are there
1: are there Less elite players. Are there less what players? Elite, you know, like the Brooks yeah. Raps. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, I I think there's there's well more because if you just look at the pure numbers, for example, when when I first got to the big leagues, it, it was such a an honor just to make a roster because they only had sixteen teams, eight in each league, uh, and it, pitchers we only had like eight or you know nine or ten. Pitchers. Now they have thirteen, fourteen pitchers, so. Yeah, I think the fact that now you've got to spread that talent over uh, 30 teams and eventually it's going to be 32 or 34, uh, you're just not going to have as many elite players. If you could imagine with the elite players, if you're around a team, if you went around team by team and you only had 16 teams, eight in each league, what teams you could put together ability wise, by just picking, you know, hand picking those elite players. But yeah, you you don't uh, you don't have as many extra men as teams did in the past because pitchers are taking up so much of the uh, roster now with the specialization of it that you need more pitchers and years ago, you know, you had a right-hand pinch hitter, a left-hand pinch hitter, a pinch runner, a couple defensive specialists, good backup catcher. Because you only carried sometimes nine pitchers, and uh, so some of those extra players—that was always my argument with the DH came in. Uh, you know, I said now that some of those extra men are are not going to be uh, necessary because you're not pinch hitting for the pitchers as much as you did in the past, and so those kind of guys have uh, have been hurt, I think, over the over the years. But I would say, uh, yeah, that there are some really good elite players at uh, every, on every team, but uh, on a big league level, let's understand they are big league players are the best out there, but they're not at that same level anymore from top to bottom.
0: Yeah. Now we, uh, we did a little homeschool project. People with uh, baseball nuts would love our homeschool. Tanner did a project on the Baltimore Royals pitchers uh, where he, studied their patterns and found out that in Major League Baseball, they and they're men after your own heart, they start on the outer third. They hammer that outer third of the plate better than anybody in Major League Baseball. And this matchup against Texas will be interesting because Texas offensively has the best, uh, I guess OPS is the the thing he did on base plus slugging. They have the best OPS anybody in baseball on that same pattern that Baltimore pitchers have. So I'm wondering with all the analytics that they have, that if my 13-year-old may have figured out a pattern um, to, for, for both teams to take a look at in this championship
1: series. That's, that's good stuff. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff that they're behind the scenes, I think, uh, looking at. But it's still going to come down to execution. So are yeah. Baltimore's pitchers who have the power and they can, they can uh, nail it on the outside part of the plate, are they going to be better than the Texas hitters who shown in the past that they're pretty good on those pitches? Yeah. But see, the statistics there that Tanner's looking at, that takes into consideration what Texas has done against a number of very, very average or below average pitchers on a big league level. How have they done against the very elite pitchers that they're going to face in this series? And right. that, that's always been one of my – kind of uh, problems accepting analytics is that uh, they go by averages, but they don't go by the individual today. Uh, is he in pretty good form today? And then when the game starts, does he have that command and that stuff today that we've seen him in the past? So it still comes down for me. Uh, you got 25 guys and I've got 25 guys and we're going to see which 25 are the best.
0: That's right. It's like the Evan Longoria theory, we'll call it the heart of the man. Yeah. Man, at the end of the day, people got to yeah, get it.
1: I, I found out, you know, uh, early in my career, I was a low ball pitcher. Uh, we were taught to try to get hitters to hit the ball on the ground. So, you know, my ball had some movement down in a the way. They'd call it a two seamer today. We just call it a moving fastball. But I wanted to own that low outside corner and, uh, and, and get the guys to hit the ball on the ground. And then there'd be scouting reports say, well, this guy's a low ball hitter. I said, well, OK, I'm going to pitch him low or maybe lower than low, and I'm going to find out if my low pitch is better than his ability to hit the low pitch. So until the hitter shows me that uh, I'm going to pitch him, I'm going to pitch him down. Yeah. Uh, and those are things that you find out, I think, through experience, especially in the big league level, because you're facing uh, the same hitters time after time, year after year, for the most part.
0: Yeah, that's the that that's the part of the game where as we, we kind of hope the pendulum swings back a little bit where that one little analytic piece that that was brought up, it's supposed to spark conversation to have dialogue, uh, not be the end all be all with stuff as you know, as we're doing right now with having dialogue about it, and as I, I tried to use it with Tanner because his generation obviously grows up with that stuff. And I don't want it to be end all be all, I want it to be like the dialogue, um, you know. Hey, that doesn't mean we can't do it. We still do our, we still throw our to our strength, and if they're better than us, then we'll, we'll look at Plan B and be prepared for it. But and, but yeah, never abandon.
1: Right, right along with what Tanner's doing, I would be very interested. I don't know how the Toronto, you know, the Toronto press is not necessarily like Boston. I mean, the Boston press would be all over John Schneider for listing uh, lifting Jose Barrios, and quite frankly. Uh, John knows what he's doing better than I do, but as a fan, I'm sitting back there saying, and I've, I know Jose, I did Minnesota games when he was there. He was, and this guy has got electric stuff and he was so pumped up that day. I mean, he was rolling. And then there, there seemed to be a plan right from the beginning because he had guys warming up in the bullpen. And uh, they got burned again by taking him out, and they bring in Kikuchi, and now that that stupid rule that I think they're going to do away with. So he has to face three batters. They can't take him out. So he ended up having to face Carlos Correa, and and Correa got the bases loaded hit. But I I would be interested in what kind of statistical analysis they had to say that it's time to take Jose Barrios out of the game. I didn't understand that.
0: I think that's what we're all waiting for too—is just some sort of explanation when those things happen, and we never get one. It's and it's—it's it's not like it happens once a year. It happens, you know, in, in the course of a season, you'll see it happen ten times a day. And yeah. I'd love to hear that myself. I'll, I'll put him on that. That'll be my next. He's got a deep. You yeah. so can get the answer. Well, I,
1: haven't, I haven't seen any of the the uh, Toronto papers uh, because their season's over with now, so they'll be they'll be turning to another. Another sport, but uh, yeah, I would be interested in what the reasoning was to uh, to suddenly take out uh, Barrios to the situation they did.
0: Yeah, and they always have their ten word answers. There's about six of them they give. But I, as I always tell the, you know, when I'm looking at stuff, I love the first ten words. Give me the next ten words, and I'll go away. Okay. Um, I just want to know why. Well, who do you think comes out of both leagues? Uh, who do you think wins the? Who do you think meets in the divisional series for both leagues? You got Diamondbacks. And the Dodgers, who have been, you know, they're, they're tough year in and year out. you got the Phillies yeah. and Atlanta.
1: Well, I've said from the start, I thought that, you know, as the season wore on, I thought that Houston and Atlanta were the two best teams. Now, the, the Twins did okay against Houston, but it's the same old thing in baseball over 162 games. Houston is a little different team. Verlander is the top of his game right now. And that was maybe wasn't he wasn't even uh, pitching a lot early in the year. So uh, I I still think that Houston, by being able to lead with uh, with Verlander and having a a couple good starters behind and a deep lineup, uh, obviously, uh, I'm partial. I like to see the twins pull that off, but I certainly would favor uh, Houston in, in all the series in the American League. And I think Atlanta would be my choice in the, in the national league. They, I mean, their lineup is relentless now, you know, are the, are the elite starters that they're going to see, are they elite enough to, to hold down that strong lineup? So those would be kind of the two T let's put it this way. If they reach the world series, uh, I would not be surprised.
0: Yeah. If no, the, I think teams both- of
1: the diamondbacks reach the world series, that's certainly a possibility but we would probably all be surprised.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm at the risk of, uh, I always like to try to be a genius at this time because if I'm wrong, you know, th- there's no, no, no harm. And I, I the way Texas played. I like the way Bruce Bochy had them playing. Um, yeah. I liked their matchup against Baltimore. And then, uh, I, I didn't want to like the Phillies for some reason. They were, um, you know, they would have been mediocre most of the year, kind of turned it on, but, uh, Boy, I just, I just, uh, I couldn't look away watching yeah. them play. I just, uh, those are my two sleepers right there. Philly against Texas in the final. I'm sure Major League Baseball would hate that because it's probably not a great marketing situation. Yeah,
1: well, the, the networks would uh, would hate to see uh, the Twins versus the Diamondbacks. I remember when we, uh, when we beat, uh, uh, when we went to the World Series in 82, the, the Cardinals, and we faced uh, the Brewers. That was called the Suds Series with, St. Louis being uh, owned by Budweiser, yeah, and uh, Milwaukee, I think, was Miller. So, uh, but it was that Middle America two teams that didn't have the the cachet of the Yankees versus the Dodgers. You know, if the networks had their way, it'd be Yankees Dodgers every year. Yes, of course. So I'm, I'm sure they're they're looking at the ratings of uh, you know who's going to draw, who's going to draw the most fans.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's the the, play, the beginning of the playoffs have been fun. They, I, I liked watching it. They were, you know, it's short and sweet two days and you get like drinking out of a fire hose. It's baseball, baseball, baseball. It got me back excited. Wow. And um looking forward to the weekend uh, mixing that in with some college football this, this uh, weekend here, but you, you had some, some speaking of fun, uh, you had some ideas coming from your meeting with uh, Morgan Sword from the commissioner's office and, uh, yeah, I,
1: I think that uh, that's going to be good stuff. We can tease it here the last uh, the last uh, part of our show. Uh, things we can talk about in the off season. But uh, I did meet with uh, Morgan Sword, who is the uh, I guess you'd call him the CEO of Baseball Ops now in Major League Baseball, and they were they were kind of creating a dialogue with me about what can be done to train our young pitchers differently uh, to see if we can prevent injuries. And also what Major League Baseball, and I get this right from the commissioner, what they would like to do is to develop more uh, ace matchups, Uh, you know, Gibson versus Koufax, uh, Kershaw versus Verlander. And, you know, those look good on paper, but by the end of the game, neither one of them are around anymore. So I think baseball would like to see that those star pitcher matchups that would, attract more fans to the game you know they used to hold up the game when koufax started and when steve carlton had that phenomenal year in 72 maybe 71 72 of the phillies went 27 and 10 and the phillies only won 59 games they were holding up the the start of the game for all the people to get in because that was the attraction the starting pitcher and that's kind of gone away in baseball and then, uh, I've become good friends with Rick Porcello, who retired last year. He lives right here near me in Vermont, and he and his wife, who was a physiotherapist with the Mets, they want to start a company. And I've uh, put him in contact with Jim Tomey and my former mentor, John Stuper, who coached at Yale for 27 years, and and try to they would have a dietitian, a trainer, a physical therapist, uh, everything they needed to attract young pitchers to go to this camp and learn, and parents, and, and that's probably, that might even be at the top of the list, to educate parents uh, about somehow limiting the amount of the travel ball that's played, the amount of games and games are played and in innings that are pitched that they give kids a, uh, an off-season where they can play other sports. So it's a steep hill to climb. But I think if anything is going to be done to change that, it has to start with the parents and with our youth and to give them some, like I told Rick and and, uh, and John and Jim told me, I said, you guys are pretty, you're recently retired. My words, they resonate with them. They asked me about, you know, my throwing program, what I like to do and how I condition my arm in spring training. But the the younger fan, the younger parents and coaches, they're not going to listen to me, but they'll listen to Rick Porcello and some of the younger guys. So I'm hoping and then that's what the commissioner's office is doing now. They're polling a number of former pitchers and asking them how they how they trained in spring training and what they think can be done uh, to eliminate the injuries and and uh, have, you know, fewer fewer of these young pitchers on the table getting Tommy John surgery at such a young age.
0: Yeah, we we have a lot of our hosts on that push. Uh, Jim Rooney, who's with the Brewers for a number of years, uh, had a great track record for keeping his pitchers healthy. He's no longer with them, and he is starting a program as well. Uh, Mark Wiley, uh, who who you know, he's on the network, and he uh, he got uh, interviewed by the commissioner's office as well, kind of a questionnaire type of conversation on the same topic. So I'm glad to hear that they recognize that there's a problem and that their Major League Baseball has to lead the way with the solution. And I, and I like your your, your thoughts. I, I, I tend to disagree with you. I think anybody would listen to you walking in. Um, I think you're, you're, you're way too humble. I think your voice carries a lot of weight out there, but I also think it's a great um, that you have conduits too, like Rick Porcello and Jim Tomey.
1: Yeah. Well, John you Steve see Ford. the... You- Yeah, the reason I say, one of the reasons I say that, like Jim told me we were having lunch after Brooks Robinson's uh, memorial service, and he's got a a sophomore in high school, he's an excellent player, and he's, he's active in youth baseball. And so he said to me, well, at what age do you think a pitcher is now ready to throw 100 pitches? And I said, I can't answer that question because I never played under those restrictions we didn't have pitch counts we didn't have radar guns we just counted outs and runs you know and if we got one more run we got 27 outs we won the game but i said somebody like rick porcello has pitched under those conditions has pitched under in the era where they had one hour meetings and dissected the hitters and how they're going to pitch here and there (laughs) we we had it a lot simpler than that and he he probably pitched in a time when they did count pitches, and he was, you know, not what you'd call a, a nine-inning pitcher all the time. It's the more age of specialization, so that's where I think these guys uh, could could answer those questions a little more intelligently than I could because they pitched and played under those conditions.
0: Yeah, but the the other thing too, and I think you brought up a point that I didn't think about. They have children right now that are going to be affected by this. And yeah. If if the pure purity of baseball doesn't get you going, that that uh, parental instinct will. So uh, I think that that's a that's a wonderful point. I, I hope that that and that's my generation too. A parent keep pushing the envelope, utilizing messages from from uh, men like yourself who've who've done it at such a high level and are caring enough and willing enough to to give back with their voice and their knowledge. So I think you got the right idea. This pendulum swinging back, my friend, and. Uh,
1: well, I, ho- I hope so. I hate to see, uh, you know, the, the like we talked about earlier, the, the players and the pitchers are so talented. And to think that we couldn't develop uh, uh, pitchers that were capable of going uh, nine innings, uh, you know, you, you end up having to carry 13, 14 pitchers. And uh, the pitchers down at the bottom of that staff, let's say pitchers 11, 12, 13, they don't get that many innings in. They're just pitching like in a mop-up situation or something, and they really would be better served by playing a whole season in the minor leagues where they could develop their craft. Yeah. And instead, they're on that treadmill where they're going uh, the yo-yo, up and down, up and down. They come up, they pitch a few innings, they go back down, and they never really get to uh, become the pitcher that they could be. They never get a chance to develop to their full potential.
0: Well, I think that's another message to the commissioner's office. Maybe instead of expanding major league clubs, bring back the minor league system. Expand it. Let these guys get on the field and play, develop, and, uh, and grow in their game. I agree yeah, with you. I,
1: I think that's one of the things that came out of that meeting. And, and my suggestion, I sent Morgan sword, and he, he got a chuckle out of it. I sent him our picture of our 1958 Missoula Timberjacks. And we had a 16-man roster and a playing manager. And we had seven pitchers. Guys played every day. If they got injured, uh, we had one utility player, and then they would quickly bring up a guy from one of the other minor leagues to, to take his place. We had seven pitchers. And so we we played the whole year long with those guys. And so the answer that uh, MLB is, I think, going to try to message to to teams is fewer pitchers and have players play more games, more innings, Instead of this, you know, play a few innings or twice a week and then sit on the bench. And and as you know from being a a lifelong player in all levels of competition, uh, you know, the way you develop is by playing.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think the biggest agony I ever had as a player, and which is I had a wonderful man uh, who I'm thankful for, Tony Ferrara, helped move me around the in between minor league systems, independent ball, so I was always playing. My biggest angst was when – I was sitting for a game. I felt like my skills were just diminished. I talked to Ted Kubiak about that all the time. He said there was a time in his career where he felt like he was rotting because he wasn't playing every day. And it kicked Yeah. It. So, I, yeah, that's, that's a mindset. I, I think I agree with you. I agree. Well, let's,
1: let's look ahead to next week, and we'll, we'll be able to uh, see what happens in these division series. But the, uh, the stuff we just talked about, I think that's going to be good off-season material.
0: I do too. I do too. And it's a good tease for our audience. Anything else you want to leave the audience with today?
1: Well, let's just, uh, you know, watch these, uh, playoff games, see if teams perform the way they did during the regular season. I know the Baltimore team, that's going to be a big question mark. Uh, uh, the twins have already proven that they're a little bit better at the end of the year when, than they when they were in the middle, even though they had the, the, uh, not the best record of the division winners, but, uh, it's just kind of exciting times to see uh, who performs best in these kind of uh, pressure situations.
0: That's right. And it goes ebbs and flows over the season. It's a long season. But uh, well, to our audience, uh, 50,000 plus, 74 countries, thank you for supporting us as we made our move from a very good networks with Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, now being rewarded with the podcast uh, backing of iHeart. Thank you for that. Make sure you flood the inbox. Make sure you give Jim's show, Cots Corner, five stars. Write some great comments underneath it because we battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in baseball. Let iHeart know they made the right choice. And we'll be back next week with Cots Corner. We'll talk more playoff baseball uh, and then maybe tease some of these ideas that we've been thrown out here from the likes of Rick Porcello, Jim Tomey, John Stuper, and Morgan Sword. Jim, thanks so
1: much. Okay, Dave. Enjoy the games.
0: Thank you. Have a good weekend.